Amen. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and verse 1, reading from the New Living Translation says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. If you're going to help me preach today, I wish that you would put your Bibles and iPads on the pew and you'd raise your hands towards heaven. And I wish that for just a couple more moments that we would go to the throne room of grace boldly. So why don't you just call out to the Lord right now. Jesus' name. God, I thank you for your spirit that has been demonstrated in this house. I thank you for the expectation. I thank you for the faith I feel in this place. And God, I pray today that you would show up. I pray that you would demonstrate yourself with power and authority and sovereignty in this house today, God. Go ahead, don't let me pray by myself. God, I pray right now, chains would begin to fall. I pray that there would be a rattling sound in this house today, God. Just like in that valley of dry bones, I pray there would be some things that would come to life that have been dead. In the name of the Lord Jesus, help me to preach your word today, God. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Don't let them see me. Let them see you. Don't let them hear this voice, God, but let them hear your voice. If you're going to respond to what God wants to do in this place, put your hands together as you're being seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Have you ever been at home and you're looking for something specific? You've got something in your mind that I need to find this, but I don't know where it's at. And you, you, you start looking around and you're going through drawers and, and cabinets and closets and you're opening up bins and boxes and you're not finding what you're looking for, but you're finding all kinds of surprises you didn't know you had. Yeah. It's like, well, I was looking for a book, but I found this toaster from 1942 and I have no clue where this thing came from. Or maybe, guys, you're, you're in your garage and you're looking for a specific wrench or socket and you find underneath a pile of stuff the most random, obscure thing that you have no clue what it is or how it got in that garage, but it's there. Or maybe, maybe you were cleaning out the garage and you started sweeping underneath the workbench and out rolls a, a can of blinker fluid. So, good news, now you don't have to send your wife to the store to get some. For me, it always, it always seemed like it was chargers. I, I would, when I was living with my mom, I can remember I'd be looking for a charger for like a Bluetooth speaker or something like that. And I would open up the drawer where, where all the chargers were, and all of a sudden I'm staring at an endless supply of chargers to things I'm pretty sure I don't even own. Things that I don't think I ever owned in the first place. But hey, I've got a charger for it. I mean, I just needed a charger for my Bose Bluetooth speaker, but I've got a charger for a 2001 Nokia cell phone. I've never owned a Nokia cell phone. But all joking aside, that's what we do in life, isn't it? We acquire things along the way. We pick things up and we bring them home and we forget that we have them. 
They serve no purpose other than taking space where they don't belong. I really learned that uh, when, again, I was living with my mom. We moved from Heath, Ohio to St. Louis, Missouri. And when we were packing the house, I remember looking around and being like, oh my goodness, where did all this stuff come from? I've lived in this house for years and years, and I've never seen that. Granted, my parents have been married for a long time, and I've been around the majority of that. But over time, we just acquired stuff, stuff that we didn't need. It just, we bought it, brought it home, put it on a shelf, and forgot about it. Now, my problem with chargers was is that I knew there was no way on earth I was ever going to use any charger I found in that box or that drawer, especially not the one for the 2001 Nokia cell phone that I never owned. Because who am I kidding? A Nokia cell phone from 2001 probably still doesn't need to be charged. I'm pretty sure those batteries were made from a nuclear core or something like that. They're still kicking. Somebody was playing snake on it this morning. (laughs) Hey, you know what I'm talking about. But I wouldn't get rid of those chargers because I didn't want to let go of them in the off chance I'm going to need it. So I asked myself, what if I need this charger? What if I throw this away and tomorrow the entire world stops using iPhones and everybody goes back to a Nokia cell phone? I'm going to need this charger. What if? And I'm being silly this morning, but I'm trying to make a point. We don't just do this with physical things, but we do this with addictions. We do this with hurt and anger and jealousy. We do it with bitterness and we do it with pride and whatever else we latch on to and we hold on to it. We don't just bring it home and set it down, but these things, we hold on to them no matter what it's going to cost us at the end of the day. And I want to tell you somebody this morning, before I preach anything else to you, if you don't get one thing out of what I say, I want you to take this home. This is the primary thing I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. You have permission to quit holding on to what is holding you back. That's why this morning I have come to preach to you permission to quit. You have permission to quit. If you believe that, say amen. It always starts small. Acquiring things at first, usually it's not not a big move, especially when you first get married and you buy a house. Uh, When my wife and I were getting married, we were trying to furnish our home, and the first thing that we bought was a rug. We didn't have chairs. We didn't have a table. We didn't have nightstands. We didn't have anything, but we had a rug that sheds more than a dog. I don't, I don't know where we bought this thing from, but I'm telling you, you go in the most random corner of my house, you are going to find carpet fibers from this rug. But we start small in life, and we start acquiring things and picking them up along the way. It, we'll go to the store, and, and my wife will say, oh, these are the cutest salt and pepper shakers I have ever seen. One looks like a chicken, the other one looks like a rooster, which, Thomas, are those the same thing? I mean, look at this lamp. Look at this rug. It is so Chip and Joe. Guys, have you ever heard your wife say this is so Chip and Joe? (laughs) Or maybe these pillows are really just going to tie in the entire room. And then all of a sudden, you have 97 pillows on your bed and 153 on your couch. If you don't believe me, ask Thomas Harrell. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
He has 100 on his bed and 154 on his couch. (laughs) But we start acquiring things, and we start collecting. We start adding, and it starts small. It really does. It's just a little bit of pride. It's just a little bit of anger. It's just a little bit of bitterness and unforgiveness. It's just enough to give me a buzz and to to mellow me out. It's just a little sin. It starts small, but when we welcome these things into our lives, because they look innocent, right? We think we can handle them. We think that we can control them. We think that we can, and I quote, stop whenever I want to. It's small. A little bit can't hurt me, right? A taste won't do anything. One click won't destroy my marriage. <laughs> that bitterness and this anger isn't going to hurt anybody. It's just inside me. It's, it's not some disease that's going to reach out and touch every aspect of my life and my family. And we allow these little things into the door. We play with them. We have fun with them. It's exciting. There's a thrill to it. But after a while, that little bit isn't enough. So we decide, okay, I'll tell you what. It it started off just just this little bit, but just a little more. I'm just going to do a little bit more than I was doing just to get that same high and that same feeling I had when I started. But that's it. I'm not going to go any further than this. It's just a little bit more. I'm going to stop here. I can still stop whenever I want. It's just a little bit. And we lock ourselves into this vicious cycle of justifying it because it seems so little and so innocent and so pure. Scripture says it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's not some massive thing that just all of a sudden is going to show up in your life and destroy everything you were trying to build and everything you're trying to grow, but it is the little innocent things it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. Think of, it, think of it this way. One day you open the front door of your home and it's time to go out and take care of the yard or take the trash out, wash the truck, whatever. But before you step outside, you look down at your doorstep and you see this cute, adorable, fluffy, cuddly, innocent little kitten. You look around and there's no mom anywhere. So I, I can't just leave this thing on the doorstep. So what do you do? You scoop it up and you take it inside. You start to feed it. You start to give it water and you start to play with it. And it makes you feel good. It excites you. It follows you all over the house. Wherever you go, it goes. Begging you to pick it up and play just a little more. And you love this kitten. You can't remember feeling this good before it came into your life. You build it its own room. It gets its own bed. It becomes a resident of your home. It has gotten comfortable, and so have you. And then one day, you come home, you pull into your driveway, you get out of your car, and you walk to your front door. You put the key in the lock, open the door, take one step inside into your shock. You see your home is destroyed. Furniture ripped to shreds. Walls scratched and holes in the drywall. Carpet destroyed. Lighting fixtures hanging from the ceilings. 
The pictures of you and your family, all those memories of your life on the ground shattered into a million pieces. And then in that moment, you snap out of the daze and confusion because where's this kitten at? Where, where is this cat that I've brought into my life that I love so much? And so you run down the hallway towards the room that you built for it. You swing the door open trying to find this thing that you love. And to your horror, you cannot find that kitten, but you find something else. You see this, this dark creature in the corner of the room. It's turned away from you and it is on its back. You can see scars up and down its body where it's been in fights. You can see the black mane that it has. And it turns its head towards you. And it has the most piercingly black eyes you've ever seen. This isn't the kitten I brought home. Because that kitten was not a kitten. That kitten is a lion. That little thing that seems so innocent at first, that seems so gentle, cute, and loving, has grown into a monster that has destroyed your life before your very eyes. Genesis, the writer of Genesis said in Genesis 4, chapter 4 and verse 7, that sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. I've come to tell somebody in this church this morning to be very careful what you bring into your house. Be careful the things that you welcome in. Be careful the things that you entertain. It might look little and innocent at first. It might not seem like a big deal, but it will always grow beyond what you anticipated it would before you left it. The truth of the matter is, Satan will never send a full-grown lion into your home. He won't do it, but he will send a kitten. He will never send a raging addiction to your door, but he will send a gateway. He'll never send fully grown bitterness and anger and disdain for people to your door, but he will plant a seed. And I have come to warn somebody today in this house that sin lies at your door and its desire is for you. It wants you, but it does not just want you. It wants your life. It wants your joy, your happiness. It wants your anointing and your ministry. And it wants your family. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It is the goal of the enemy to destroy and murder every good thing in your life. But I have come today with an announcement to let you know that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You are the head and not the tail. There is no devil in hell that can stop what God has started and placed in your life. It's true. Why don't you go ahead and praise on that? I don't feel like we're released from that, that realization. I've come to tell somebody this morning, you don't have to be a slave to your sin. You don't have to be a slave to guilt and to shame and anger and bitterness. You do not have to stay stuck in a cycle. 
Because God has showed up to this place today to get you out of that cycle. <laughs> there is freedom in this place today. It has been said that sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. And it will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. We get comfortable with the lion. We, we get comfortable with its actions because it still makes us feel good in the moment. Forget the way it feels afterwards, but in the moment it feels so good. We attempt to clean up its mess time and time again. We know what's going to happen when that lion comes and taps on our door in the middle of the night. And we don't want to fall victim to it because we know what it's going to feel like afterwards. We know how it'll feel when we're done with that drink. We know how it's going to feel when we turn the computer off. We know how it's going to feel when we realize the horrible things that we just said about somebody who's never done anything but help us and love us. We know how the guilt is going to feel, but that lion is so persistent. It is so just cunning. Its desire is for you. It's going to tell you whatever it has to tell you to get you to do it one more time. Come on. Just one more click. Come on. It's just one more drink. Just one more injection. And we lock ourselves into this cycle. And one day we wake up and realize that beautiful life that we once had now looks like a war zone. It's not even reminiscent of what it once was. And if you did not know better, if it was not your life, you would not realize it was the same life. We look around and our family's gone. We're alone, left with our thoughts. And it's in that moment when our lives have been destroyed that we begin to think to ourselves, it was so little at first. It looked so innocent. <laughs> Had I known this is what it was going to do, I would have never touched it in the first place, but, but that little kitten on the doorstep was so cute. It, it needed help. It needed to be brought inside. And we thank our, to ourselves, what has happened to me? I look in the mirror and I don't even know who I am anymore. We all have our own lion. That's a, that is a fact of life. There is a lion personally assigned to each of us that tries to follow us and tries to call for us every single day. And our lions have names. Names like bitterness, rebellion, addiction, anger, pride, lust, and offense. Maybe your lion has a different name, but I promise there's somebody in this place you know exactly what your lion's name is. And none of us like what these things do to us. If we were really honest, we might say we enjoy it, but we don't. Because the things that we have acquired and that we have brought into our lives, we hold on to them. It started off with they were holding on to us, but at some point, it wasn't them holding on to us anymore. They let go at some point, but we held on because we hate what they do, but we fear what will happen if we let go. 
we get so caught in our guilt and our shame and our self-condemnation that we start believing the voice that says, this is who you are. This is who you will always be and this is your prison. You will never get free from this thing. We become so tormented by the mistakes and choices that we have made. And I'm preaching to somebody right now who can't sleep at night because you made a mistake in a weak moment. You made a decision that should not have happened. Was it a mistake? Yes. Should it have ever happened? No. But you are not defined by your past. You are defined by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who at the mention of His name will step into your life and pull you out. And free you from what binds you. I've come to tell somebody on this Sunday morning that there is grace and mercy for you. You are not too far gone. You have not made too many mistakes. You are not worthless. But you are a child of God. A royal priesthood. His own special people who He has called out of of darkness and into His marvelous light. Isaiah said in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And no scorch will be on you. For I am the Lord your God. Return to me. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah said in Isaiah 44 and 22, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions. And like a cloud your sins return to me, for I have redeemed you. Isaiah recorded the words of God. And those words of God that were in the Old Testament apply to somebody in this day today. God has called you. He has redeemed you. He has placed His name on you. You are chosen. You are His. He is your Savior. You have been bought with a price. You have been purchased with the blood that flowed down Calvary's mountain. And in this moment right now, I'm preaching to somebody who hears the voice of the enemy saying you're not going to make it. That there's not a calling for you. That there is not an anointing for you. That there's no purpose for you. That there is no destiny for you. That God can't use you and that you have disqualified yourself. But the devil is a liar. That you do have a purpose. You do have a calling. You do have an anointing. You do have a ministry. You do have future. You do have providence with Him. You do have a destiny. I've come to tell somebody today, freedom is a decision. Freedom is a conscious choice on our part. I understand that things get a hold of us. I do. But the same way that things get a hold of us, like I said, at times we hold on just as much. We hold on to that bitterness because of what somebody did to us years ago 
and they don't even remember it. And we lose sleep and joy and we wallow in our self-pity because of something that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we allow that bitterness to make us cynical and to never let anybody back into our lives again because we got hurt. Let me tell you, bitterness is a disease that will destroy everything in your life. It might look innocent, but it's not. It does not just affect you. It will affect your family. It will affect your joy, your happiness. You're not going to sleep. It will affect every aspect of your life. I know, I know they hurt you. I know they offended you. I know that they did you wrong and it shouldn't have happened. And I'm not excusing what they did this morning. I'm not minimizing the emotions and the pain that it makes you feel. But if you want to live a full, happy, prosperous life, then you've got to let it go. The only person that is hurting you now is yourself. They're not doing it anymore. The only person that is hurting you now is yourself because you refuse to let go of something that should have never taken root in your life in the first place. But here's the issue. We get so accustomed to our hurts and our sins, whatever it is. And what once had a hold on us, we now have a hold of. And we don't let go because we're so used to it being there. It has become an everyday part of our life. We hate what we are, but we fear what we will be without it. We get in our heads that we've held on this long. We've gone this far, so there's no stopping now. There is no quitting this vicious cycle now. Because we were raised that that quitting was bad. 99% of the time, I would agree with you. We were raised that we finish what we start. If you make a commitment, you follow through on that commitment. If you make a choice or a decision, you follow through on that choice and decision. 99% of the time, that is true, and that is what we should do. I believe that we should be a consistent people. I believe that we should make commitments in our life and hold true to them. Even if it costs us something, even if it hurts in the moment, I believe that we should be faithful to our word. 99% of the time. But there's that 1% where we hold on to hurts and trauma, addiction, sin, guilt, you name it. Because we fear what tomorrow will look like if it's not there. We want to be free, but freedom is scarier than bondage. And we have wrapped our identities around these things. They have become who we are. We can't stop now. We can't quit now because if we do, that lion's just going to come back. There's no point in quitting. There's no point in me trying to, to get better and do better because that lion is just going to come back. Musicians, you can make your way. We tell ourselves things like once an addict, always an addict. I reject that this morning. Once offended, always offended. Once a loser, always a loser. And we allow ourselves to stay in this broken, shattered, painful place all because we think we are too far in. It is called the sunk cost fallacy. Jake has a great podcast episode. I I do recommend that you go listen to that. But what that sunk cost fallacy says is this. I have dedicated 
this much time. I've put this much effort into a thing. I've lived with it. I have let it grow. So there's no getting out of it now. I am stuck. I can't go back. I'm too far in. I am too far gone. I can't let go. But I have come to tell somebody in this house, you have permission to quit. Permission to quit holding on to those hurts. Holding on to that guilt and shame. Holding on to those lies that the enemies told you in a weak moment. Holding on to that sin. You have permission this morning to quit holding on to what is holding you back. You are one moment, one decision away from everything in your life changing completely. Don't listen to what that, that lion devil told you. A court Chavis, I remember I was, I was 16 years old. It was the first camp meeting I had ever gone to in the United Pentecostal Church International. I grew up in the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Court Chavis was preaching one night. I can't tell you what he preached on. But I remember being a 16-year-old kid. Laying on my face in an altar. Feeling like knives were stuck out of my back. I was horribly, horribly treated from the age of 12 through my early teen years by some very close friends. Purposely ostracized. Purposely left out. Purposely lied on. And I began to believe those things. I began to believe those, those lies that were not true. Well, I, I'm not good enough to hang out with these people. I, I'm just not fun enough. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm just not good enough. And I was laying on my face in an altar, bawling my eyes out, broken beyond what I knew. And Court Chavis, he didn't know me from Adam. I had never met him. I'd never heard of him before. He walked up to me and he said, young man, do not forget in the darkness what God spoke to you in the light. And it was in that moment I realized that those things that I'd been holding on to, those hurts, those offenses, those pains, I could let them go. I didn't have to be a slave to these things anymore. And Jesus this morning is calling for somebody to have just enough faith to stand up and say enough is enough. As we stand all across this place. He is looking for somebody to have enough faith to take a few steps forward to an altar. You may trip. You may stumble. You may fall flat on your face. But the undeniable truth of the matter is this. Jesus will be with you every step of the way. You might fall a thousand times. He will pick you up a thousand and one. He will dust you off. He will make sure you're okay. He will take care of you and he'll tell you to start again. You just have to have enough faith, enough boldness, and enough unction in your spirit that I am not going to stay bound in my situation, that I will not die in my dilemma, 
that I will not be a slave to the sin and the shame that has tried to latch itself onto me, but I am going to let go of every single weight that so easily besets me. And I am going to run with endurance the race that has been put before me. I promise you this morning, in just a moment I'm going to open this altar. If you will find the strength within yourself to come forward, I promise you, I promise you, He will not leave you empty. He is not going to leave you alone. He will not forget about you, but He is going to restore you and He is going to elevate you and He is going to free you. The moment you decide to let go of those things you're holding on to, you are going to feel a peace you have not felt in years. You are going to sleep tonight for the first time in longer than you can remember. You are going to feel the joy and the happiness that you, was, you thought was forever gone. You will. And you can have confidence in the fact that letting go is not a death sentence, but it is the beginning of a pardon. I like what one man said when he stated, nothing can drag you down unless you're holding on to it. The enemy has no power in your life because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Permission to quit. Look at your neighbor and say, you have permission to quit. Look at your other neighbor and say, you have permission to quit. I'm telling you this, quitting is going to be the best decision, most freeing, wonderful moment of your life. It is going to be the precedent for the rest of your life. I'm quitting those things that are holding me back. I'm quitting those things that hurt me, that hurt my family. I'm quitting these things that have lied to me. And I'm going to run with endurance. I am letting these weights go. C.S. Lewis said, getting over a painful experience is much like crossing the monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. You have to quit at some point in order to move forward. Friends, you have permission to quit. I'm quitting today. Are you?